today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Feel free to subscribe and tell your friends. Coming up on today's show, another member of Trudeau's cabinet resigns. How does that change the testimony of Gerald Butts? And how does this whole story regarding Jody Wilson-Raybould and SNC-Lavalin affect relations in China? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Yesterday, Trudeau lost another member of the cabinet with a resignation of Jane Philpott, a very well-respected cabinet minister, much like uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould. She cited losing confidence in how the government has dealt with the SNC-Lavalin case uh, and with Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, boy, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it's not more, you can't get any more plain than that. There it is. Uh, let's bring in Peter uh, Wollstonecroft, Associate Professor, University of Waterloo. He is with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. We certainly know what we went through last week with the to- uh, testimony of Jody Wilson-Raybould. How does this change the discussion? What does it add to it? Well, it's a whole new dynamic, and I, I, I was sitting on my Chesterfield when the news came on the TV, and I just about fell off uh, in in surprise. And um, so, I mean, you've got two two prominent cabinet ministers, two women, two very strong and competent women who've left the cabinet, and uh, you know, when everything's said and done, this whole matter has been so poorly handled by. Trudeau and the people around him. Uh, it's actually kind of astonishing that that they've got to this point. And uh, it's hard to see that they have a winning narrative coming out of this. Uh, it was surprising to see. Uh, I was watching the news channels last night and everybody was waiting for Prime Minister Trudeau to address this at a, uh, a climate change function he was at in Toronto. And boy, he, he came out, it was like uh, two or three days before the election and, and, and with just the vim and vigor of, of, of selling the climate plan. And, and, and then, of course, the demonstrations started, people yelling about what's going on with this. Are you surprised he tried to sort of take the story in another, in another direction and just didn't address this? Well, he, he made a, a reference to it, but he made it a, a passing elliptical reference if this was just a you know a big family and there was a dispute within the family and somebody who was at the center of the family is now on the outskirts of the family, but you know we're going to get over this, we're going <clears> to <throat> pass on as it were, uh, I, and, he, and he's making it out as if this is no big deal. But I think anybody who's been looking at this has got to be very worried. And I noticed just talking to ordinary people who generally are not uh, attaching themselves with great interest to the political news that this has reached them and they're thinking about it and they're worrying about it. So the Liberals have a big problem. And you can try to, as they say, change the channel. But if people are focusing on what what really happened, uh, there's a big risk for the government. Because, you know, the, the, the Liberals in, in 2015 passed themselves off, presented themselves to the electorate as as highly aspirational, and there was all this golden luster attached to them. Mm-hmm. Well, now they just look like regular folks playing hockey with their elbows up like Gordie Howe, <laughs> and they're no different than anybody else when it comes to politics. Uh, you mentioned that this is resonating with Canadians, and again, several polls over the weekend, another uh, Ipsos poll today coming out saying that this is in fact resonating with Canadians. Many thought it was too deep into the political weeds. Why do you think it is? Well, I know you've got a very interesting imagery here. You have, uh, in the case of uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, a clearly strong woman, an intelligent woman, 
a, a woman who is motivated by her values and, and, and her principles, and she makes a decision, and then all these folks, mainly men, pile on her, and she says, look, I made up my mind, it's done, and they keep coming at her. So for most people, this is what they might think happens in politics, but this is, is like the book of Revelations. Here it is, it's laid out before us, and, and she's a stalwart. And so she looks, and I, I don't, I'm not going to be building a statue for her in, in the near future, but she kind of was like a Joan of Arc figure here, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that she is, is on, on, the, on the side of the righteousness. Uh, rather than just the evil uh, influence players, so there, there is that narrative to it, and um, and and I think also for those who follow things a little closely, these two letters of resignation are absolutely amazing. Boy, are they ever! I mean, they they. <laughs> if if you wrote a novel and you had these two letters of resignation in your novel, people would say this doesn't happen, because usually people have these cloying phrases, I'm so grateful to be in your company, and I have to leave, and I'm so sorry, but I have to go look after my grandmother or my kids or whatever. Right. But there's none of that, and there's not even, thank you for putting me in the cabinet. You know, So both of them make it very clear that very, they disagree fundamentally with the approach taken by the government. And, and Trudeau has himself to blame for this. When, when, when the cabinet shuffle happened in, in the first week of January, and, and, and Wilson Railway was moved to, uh, to Veterans Affairs, his explanation... Which is absurd, yeah. you know. Like we have a vacancy in, in Treasury Board, so therefore I have to move my Minister of Justice and Attorney General to Veterans Affairs. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense at all. And and he persisted in that narrative. So so people looking at this go, well, there's something going on here, and it doesn't look good at all. Uh, what about Gerald Butt's testimony, which is supposed to be happening tomorrow? Uh, he is uh, Trudeau's former advisor, a good friend, and, and many say the brains behind all of this. He was going to come in and save the day. Many said that he was going to use this opportunity to try to push the narrative towards the climate energy plan and, and mentioning things like that as opposed to what is actually going on there. Uh, and it looked like he was just going to double down on everything that the prime minister said. How does this change? what he says tomorrow well we'd love to know um and i I, of course i was wondering about that what's he going to say i mean does he have documentation in his satchel that he'll lay on the table and say hold it hold it hold it think of this think of this think of this i'd be very surprised he may have some emails and texts and so on but a lot of the conversations were uh, private conversations uh, between one person and another uh, so I, I, it is going to be a big question. I'm obviously going to be locked into my TV at 10 o'clock in the morning to see what's going on. I will, I will notice, so I, I have to say that I, I follow the newspapers uh, closely, and I notice the odd letter from well-known liberals who've taken upon themselves to, to write letters critical of Jody Wilson-Raybould, and, and, and they claim that she's a prima donna, she's self-centered, mm-hmm. she's not a team player. And, 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 and one writer said, she, and she runs the risk of destroying the Liberal Party. So basically, the argument against her is, you're a rat, a dirty rat. And so there is this demolition job going on. However, it's hard to do that with Jane Pilpot. Hmm. And, uh, and so, so the demolition job doesn't work. Uh, and the climate change thing is, well, I mean, a lot of Canadians are concerned about climate change, but other people are saying, i got other things on my mind, and this looks like a bad deal was going, going on in Ottawa, and, and the Minister of Justice stood up and said no, and got 
penalized for it. Um, and the liberals have a real problem, you know, is because they're still in the caucus. These two yeah. could have said, I'm resigning from the caucus. But when they're, they're, until they're kicked out, they're there. And when anything is said, they will stand up and say, no, that's not the way it is. That's not what happened. And I think we have to uh, take into account the following. So they're still there. They're still voicing their disquietude. Uh, what about the response from Justin Trudeau on this and even uh, Finance Minister Mar- Morneau? Is it, oh, well, you know, they were both good friends. So, you know, if one goes down, the other one's going to go down. I mean, I almost found it patronizing that, you know, well, you know, if one thinks that way, then this one's going to, because they're friends. We understand that. We respect that. Yeah, it's a sisterhood. Yeah, play, yeah, exactly. I mean, no, I thought, my goodness, how's that going to play with, you know, the, 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 the female vote that they're, you know, so eagerly chasing? Well, uh, the party of feminists, uh, it's interesting that they would play this game. They, as I said earlier, you know, uh, oh, uh, Wilson Rabel, she's a prima donna, not a team player. Well, often strong women in politics are so criticized. And then, yeah. and, and now it's a sisterhood. They're hanging together. You know, uh, I think that's playing with fire, and you sh- they run a serious, uh, or could really get themselves into trouble by trying to diminish these two women. Uh, obviously, uh, the Prime Minister was supposed to be in Regina uh, later today for uh, to ki- continue the, the climate change promotional tour that he's on. Uh, that has been cancelled, along with a the fundraiser there, uh, due to meetings. What does that tell you? They're worried. They know that this could escalate out of control. Uh, they know that an, another cabinet member's resignation would be would be disastrous. They also know that every cabinet minister and every member of caucus, indeed every every liberal candidate, will be asked the question: Who are you with, with Trudeau, or Wilson Rabo and Jane or uh, Jane Philpott? Who are you with? Which side are you on? And they don't want that question to be asked, and they don't want people to be answering it. Uh, Andrew Scheer brought that, the leader of the Conservative Party brought that up yesterday. What does this say about the rest that are there? Uh, do they have to look themselves in the mirror and ask the same questions? Well, where are you? Uh, where do you stand? There's always a question in politics. Where yeah. do you stand? Who are you with? And normally those things get covered over. We don't see them. There's a big black hole in our politics, and that's what happens in the caucus. Now people are being put, being put on the spot, and they can't avoid... They can't avoid the question that's there, and you're either with the Trudeau or you're not. Um, where do you think this is going from here? I mean, obviously, the meeting back here is to, to discuss what Gerald Butts is going to say uh, tomorrow. What are the options here? Well, uh, we don't know, uh, and, and, and I certainly don't know. Uh, I think we're going to get into a very nasty fight. I mean, the Liberals will play their card, uh, or two cards. One is is that they will uh, attack the Conservatives in very vehement ways, and they've been known to do that. I remind, I remind you, in the, in 2006, the Liberals ran ads about uh, the army and the, the military, the police uh, sort of running roughshod over people on the streets. There was that kind of advertising going on. So that may happen, but they also will play the fundamental values card, which is to say that our values are Canadians' values, and the values of, of Canadians are only really expressed through the Liberal Party. So that that's probably their first option, to say, yes, you've got to make a difficult choice, but we are, we're on the, on the road of nobility, and the, and the Conservatives and the NDP are not. And then if it doesn't, that doesn't work, then they're going to get really nasty. 
why does, I mean, you know, the, the picture that, that the prime minister paints of himself, the self-described feminist, why doesn't he just fall on the sword here and, and say, you know what, we've made an incredible mistake, um, uh, both with the SNC-Lavalin case and, and then with all of this, uh, we're going to separate the position of the attorney general from the rest of government. I mean, why doesn't he just come up with a plan to, 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 to fall on the sword? I mean, that's, that's sort of, you know, the, the type of guy he's painted himself to be. Uh, are we going to see a different Justin Trudeau this time? Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, I certainly I have to confess as a political scientist, I never worried about the fact that the Minister of Justice was also the Attorney General. I didn't worry about that at all until the last month. Um, why don't you fall on your own sword? Uh, you think of the thousands of politicians that the world has seen. How often does that happen? How often do people confess to making a fundamental mistake and that they've gone for a long walk on a wintry night and through the head about the past. It doesn't happen, does yeah. it? Oh, so my. I, I, you ask a very good question, and I will, I will answer it in that kind of rhetorical way. So how does this change his election campaign moving into the fall, the prime minister's? I mean, you know, it looked like he was going to keep selling the sunny ways, but again, many have painted him as a great mediator but can't get anything finished, can't get anything done. How does that change him, the campaign moving forward? Can he just keep selling climate change? Well, I don't think you're going to get very far with that. Uh, he's on his, on his, on his back, back heels. He's going to be on the defensive because there always will be the questions there. He's lost uh, two of his strongest cabinet ministers, and and he's also lost a trusted and tested advisor in Gerald Butts. Now, which is not not to say that Gerald Butts couldn't come back, but these two go back a long, long way, and they understand each other and have worked together. And so Trudeau, uh, without Butts, it will be somewhat adrift because he doesn't have, uh, as far as I can read, the kind of relationships that get built up not over just years but decades canadians love him as the sunny ways prime minister you know being a front man for canada what's he going to be like when he gets angry well what's he going to be like when he gets angry and 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 so here's my pessimistic side as i follow business and the economic cycle i think we're going toward a, a slowdown in economic life in canada and the united states i see various indicators coming out of the united states that make me very worried. Uh, the last quarter in Canada had very low economic growth. I see signs that uh, that's going to worsen throughout the rest of this year. And so not only do we have the question about the luster and the sunny ways, the question is, what are our economic prospects? And the Liberals are going to be on their back heels because they've been promising uh, that we're going to meet the aspirations of the middle class and those who want to join us. All right. Peter Wollstonecroft has been with us, Associate Professor, University of Waterloo. Pay, uh, Peter, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Uh, you're welcome. And thanks so much for asking. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies. He has served as advisors to national party leaders and cabinet ministers and is with us now. Tim, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. God, it seems we've spent a lot of time talking about this issue, and it never gets settled, does it? It gets more wieldy by the moment, or unwieldy by the moment. So what was your reaction when you first heard that Jane Philpott had resigned? 
Uh, I was actually in a meeting, and as the meeting was just finishing, and like most of us, when we finish a meeting, check our, our phones, and there somebody had sent me a text and said, Jane Philpott had resigned. I'm like, what? Uh, and uh, sure enough, it was true, and there was uh, lots of uh, chatter going around here in Ottawa and elsewhere about it all. Um, but it, my immediate reaction is, and it's hard to downplay it, uh, though the government may try, uh, this is huge uh, for for the Prime Minister. Not one minister, but now two, both of them high-profile, well-regarded senior ministers who have were to be the symbols of Justin Trudeau's new government, the way he was going to do things differently. And, uh, you know, uh, Jane Philpott's letter uh, that was released publicly yesterday, spoke to the frustration that she was having in the way the Prime Minister was managing things and, and captured well, I think, uh, the frustration that Liberal partisans have, never mind the rest of, uh, of, of Canadians who are watching this unfold. So what is the chatter in Ottawa? Can the Liberals drown it all out with climate change uh, chatter? <laughs> Well, it didn't work so well for the Prime Minister last night at that event uh, down the road from you in Toronto there, but uh, they clearly seem to be concerned because the Prime Minister was uh, supposed to continue on today to Regina to do an event at a Canadian tire store there, and as my friend and fellow Newfoundlander and acclaimed comedian Mark Critch said, well, you know it's a full-blown crisis when the Prime Minister doesn't go to Canadian Tire. <laughs> I, I thought that was bang on, as Mark often is in these subjects. Uh, so he's apparently coming back to Ottawa. He is going to need a new, another new minister to replace Jane Philpott. Um, he, uh, he's going to be anxious about about how tomorrow is going to play out, because, of course, tomorrow the Justice Committee reconvenes, and Jerry Butts, uh, his former principal secretary, testifies in the morning, and in, that, in the afternoon it's a repeat performance uh, by Michael Wernick, the clerk of the Privy Council. Both of those individuals, as you know, uh, were singled out um, by uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould in her testimony, and uh, in the case of... Uh, of the the clerk at the Privy Council, uh, Ms. Wilson-Rabel talked about feeling like she was getting very clear threats directed her way. So I'm sure the Prime Minister is wanting to orchestrate with his team and these people what they're going to say tomorrow and how they're going to try and advance the case that not too much went wrong here. Uh, So I suspect that's why he's coming back to Ottawa as well as planning how he does yet another cabinet shuffle. Uh, what about the other ministers? Don't they have to speak up on this, considering uh, what's happening? Uh, Andrew Shear was jumping on this, saying it's time to look in the mirror here. Yeah, and the, the only thing that that does, and I, look, I don't think Mr. Shear is wrong to say that, but when a conservative says that to a liberal, it sometimes has the opposite effect, as you can imagine, yeah. and you might, might unite liberals. I mean, last night was fascinating at that Trudeau event. So you had uh, Catherine McKenna, who was always uh, supposed to be there, given it's an environment announcement. It was supposed to be a big climate change event. You had Krishia Friedland, the foreign affairs minister. You had Bill Morneau, the finance minister. Uh, You had a number of liberal MPs there, clearly a show of unity. I don't imagine that they all would have been there uh, if it were just another day uh, at the office for uh, for the government, I, I think the prime minister's got to figure out uh, one what he's going to do to get out 
of this uh, storm that he's in. Two, related to that, is there going to be any more bleeding from his caucus? Are there going to be others who may step out in solidarity or may step out for, for other reasons? What are your thoughts this? on that? Do you think that might happen? Have, has anybody predicted this correctly so far? Yeah, answer good to that question is no. Yeah. Um, you know, anything is possible here right now. I think tomorrow does matter for them, and more particularly for the Liberal caucus. The other thing that's started to float about, and it, it, to be fair, it's coming more from opposition circles, is this prospect prospect of an early election. Now, that's uh, you know ripe with all sorts of dangers for the government because if they spend the whole election period, if they called an early election. And they made it, and, and they spent the entire election dealing with this issue. Their prospects, you can't imagine, wouldn't would not be great. Now they would argue that would be better than letting it. Some might argue it might be better than letting it drag on for months and months and months. And the government could reframe this as the prime minister has tried to do, uh, not effectively, in my view, on a couple of occasions about future choices, not about the immediate problems. His own caucus may not like that. Uh, so I, I'm sure they're discussing all strategic options, including that. I'd rate that at about a 30% chance that we'd have an early federal election. But again, you, you never know, given everything that's, that's on here. But clearly they've got to get themselves on track. It was really fascinating last night, too. Prime Minister has added a new storyline. You and I have talked about the ever-changing storylines. He said, and I think this was deliberately said, uh, for his first audience, his own caucus, because that's where the immediate turmoil is. I'm listening to what's happening at the committee. I'm listening to uh, what people are saying about what has happened here, setting himself up perhaps to act if there was some some active listening that he was doing that allowed him to say something that uh, built a bridge uh, to uh, an escape for him here. But what that is, uh, hard to say at the moment. The other thing he's got to decide, too, Scott, um, and he, I think he made it clear about uh, Jane Philpott last night. I mean, given that glowing statement he gave around Jane Philpott, I can't see her being kicked out of caucus. Uh, but he has said, and he didn't give it any further exposition last night, that he has to make a decision on whether uh, Miss Wilson Rabel stays in caucus. They don't come back here until the 18th of March, so he's got to figure that out between now and then. I think he's playing with fire if he uh, throws Jody Wilson Rabel out of caucus, because you can only imagine again you'll have a bit of a domino effect. Uh, Gerald Butt supposed to testify tomorrow. It, it, it was assumed that he would just double down on everything the prime minister has said and, and just paint a picture that nothing's going on here. And these are personal differences and, and different views of, of what the definition of pressure and undue influence is. Um, and perhaps there was rumors also that he was going to start selling the climate change in the campaign and such. How will his testimony tomorrow change because of Phil Potts resignation? I think they have to be really careful to make not make this personal. Now, what they were spinning out li- later last night was that both Michael Wernick, uh, unnamed sources, of course, unnamed sources have done some good work here or not, depending on your sp- perspective. But anyway, unnamed sources were telling uh, many people last night that both Gerald Butts and Michael Wernick have their own set of documents that will provide a different view and perspective of things. I think 
if they do have these documents, whatever, and, and these documents do in fact do that, they're going to have to be pretty neutral in putting out the documents uh, and not challenging the character of Jody Wilson-Rabel and perhaps Jane Philpott. I, I think Jody Wilson-Rabel uh, has already had to use a tennis term game set and match afforded to her. Um, so well, the they, government... she, the government's already lost the he said, she said story. That's how we're here where we are. So can they try to spin the same old story? Well, they've been trying to. Um, uh, look, I think the, the, well, there's no easy way out. I think the prime minister has to use that listening comment he made last night to say, you know what? I've heard everything. Uh, we did air. We did put too much pressure on. It wasn't an appropriate thing to do. I'm sorry for doing that. I don't regret fighting for jobs, as I've said I'm doing. don't regret doing that. Uh, but I'm glad Jody Wilson-Rabel held the line and, and did what a good cabinet minister should do. That might be the best way out, whether they're prepared to go there, whether there are legal implications for admitting they perhaps didn't behave the, in, in the best manner possible if there were a criminal investigation. I don't know. I think they also, because let's not forget this from last week's testimony, need to perhaps uh, allow Jody Wilson-Rabel to speak to what happened from the end, from January 14th uh, up until today, mm -hmm. because you will remember, the listeners will remember, that was all still deemed to be privileged and confidential. What about the response uh, from the Prime Minister and even Finance Min Minister Morneau, who basically said, you know, we understand why they did this. They're both friends. It's sort of to suggest, well, if one's going to disagree, the other one's going to disagree too. Yeah, they're, bo I mean, they're both buddies. I mean, it almost sounded patronizing. It almost sounded it is. Yeah. I mean, again, <laughs> coming maybe from another leader, but this prime minister, this government have tried to create a sense that they are an empowering entity. They fully support feminism, yet they're quickly prepared to dismiss the behavior of uh, senior, well-respected female leaders as being just about friendship. Uh, it being nothing, you know, that somehow they were naive. And, oh, my goodness, they didn't understand what it was all about. Silly, silly, man, let us mansplain it all. I mean, I, Bill Morneau's words were so poorly chosen. Now, Mr. Morneau uh, has not been the greatest political communicator. He'd gotten better, but I bet he wishes he hadn't said that last night. And they got a step away from this mansplaining. And what they were trying to do last week when Krishia Friedland was out and, and Carla Qualtro, two, again, uh, senior leaders in the government, senior ministers, female uh, ministers, uh, saying, look, you can have this collective difference of opinion. People can see it differently. But ultimately, I like them both, and it's all okay. For me, that's the men are from uh, Mars, women are from Venus kind of approach, and I think it is insulting to Jody Wilson-Rabel and in turn Jane Philpott and to many Canadians who think, hey, come on, we deserve a bit better than that. I think Canadians want, and even some liberals want, the prime minister to stop trying to talking point him, himself out of this and sit down and say what has happened instead of trying to spin it. Is there a chance that we could see another shocking revelation, except this one perhaps from the government side, as you said, calling an early election, perhaps even stepping down, something really drastic to change the narrative? I don't get the sense the Prime Minister's going to step down. I, I, I mean, I, I again, I, I think Andrew Scheer made that call prematurely. 
said that already. Um, I think what Mr. Scheer is trying to do is to make liberals anxious. I, I don't see the prime minister stepping down, um, but I'm sure yeah, maybe there's uh, uh, a major cleaning of his office, which which I think would be a significant move. Um, uh, but I don't see anything more dramatic than that. As I say, I said earlier, I'm not sure that they're going to go to the polls. I'm not sh- without a compelling rationale and it looking like a dodge and the prime minister giving the same answers. I don't think going to the polls is the wisest move for them. And besides, they're wanting to get people focused on their budget, which is on the 19th of March, because that was to be the setup piece uh, for the election. Uh, we remember what this campaign was like the first time, uh, the sunny ways prime minister, everything's great, it's great to be in Canada and, and to be a part of it all and the movement that the whole world is watching. Uh, that's when things are going well. What's the prime minister like when he's angry? What is it like when he gets put on this side of the discussion? Well, you've seen it, right? He's inconsistent. He's making poor choices you is he is attra- and... is he is attractive no uh and and his brand gets uh blown to smithereens i mean the mclean's magazine uh yeah. cover of yesterday captured it all right Impossible. let's talk about that he, i mean the mclean's magazine and right his picture and then right across the front in massive letters imposter my goodness that is a statement it is, and that's not, you know, the New Democrats, the Conservatives, disgruntled Liberals, Max Bernier, Elizabeth May, whomever may be an opponent of the Prime Minister saying that. That's, you know, McLean's, yes, they have an editorial voice. Obviously, they've been critical of the Prime Minister, but they'd hardly be seen as to be a partisan entity. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Justin Trudeau, that, that, that magazine cover captures perfectly what this storm has done to Justin Trudeau, the avowed feminist, the the, the committed change agent, the the, the person who is going to focus on indigenous reconciliation, looks no better than the people he wanted to replace. The man who said he was going to do politics differently uh, has has gotten back into the cesspool of the way it was always done, and certainly that's the way it's been characterized uh, by those who are uh, who are looking, a vast majority of people who are looking at this. I mean, there will be those, of course, who say it's overblown, there's no proof, etc. That's a fair perspective, I suppose, but uh, they tend to be a bit more partisan and leaning. Is that why, has McLean's nailed uh, uh, the point on the head with as why this is resonating with Canadians? It's He's not the man he portrayed himself to be. Is that why this is resonating yes. more so than anything else? I mean, yes. I mean, and, and the great example is uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott. These are two people who didn't need to get into federal politics, who were established in other realms. Uh, Ms. Philpott, as you know, and it's a very successful physician and, and medical rant was running a hospital up in your neck of the woods. Wilson-Raybould, successful lawyer, was an in indigenous politics they were and are the new generation of leadership that the prime minister was trying to bring forward and supposedly was going to embrace yet when circumstances got difficult his uh, the, his inclination was fall back was to fall back to an old way of doing things and that's why that 
cover and that word are so devastating because it does create the sense that uh, he sold people a bill of goods. Does he have? Now, to... He wouldn't be the first person to do that. Scott, no, but the no, challenge no. with the prime minister, this prime minister, it's always been one of his weaknesses. He oversells things. Yeah, and he becomes almost uh, believable in in a way for some that it's almost impossible to conceive that he wouldn't deliver uh, in, in the manner in which he promised. And when he's called out on it, and again, being called out not by conservatives or liberals, but by his own people, his own star recruits, that is devastating. What do you think the storyline will be come Friday by the end of the week? <laughs> I don't know. If you tell me anybody who's got this right, I'm taking them to Vegas and winning a pile of money. <laughs> I have no idea what the storyline is going to be on Friday, because, uh, Scott, there's still three more days before Friday. We could have resignations, elections, blow-ups at, uh, at, at the Justice Committee. I think, if there is, is there a possible storyline? I think the liberals are still dealing with this. I think they're still trying to find a way to... Uh, to put it behind them. It won't be behind them on Friday. They're now in a containment strategy. Uh, they're trying to build a bridge to the budget without doing any more damage to themselves. That's where I think this goes and how they are proceeding uh, in that manner. Jerry Butts and Michael Wernick are not going to change a nation's mind. How much pressure is on them tomorrow? Huge. I mean, they can't throw more gas on this fire. Right, uh, and so they have to be. They almost need to be vanilla. They need to appear, challenge, and not end up in some big Donnybrook that makes things worse for the government. Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman Summa Strategies, has been advisor to national parties and cabinet ministers. Tim, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. I'm sure we'll talk again. I'm sure, hoping to anyway. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Canada arresting the Huawei CFO, detaining her on a extradition warrant for the United States. And how that has all progressed, obviously the detainment of two Canadians there, one already that was in prison on drug trafficking charges, now sentenced to death. Uh, and uh, many aspects of this story coming forward again uh, in the last couple of days with the Huawei CFO uh, filing a lawsuit, a civil lawsuit against the RCMP and border security and such. And also um, uh, just how this is all going to pan out with this resignation and and now accusations from the Chinese government that these uh, two that have been detained were stealing state secrets. To talk more about all of this, Hugh Stevens is with us, Distinguished Fellow, Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada, Executive Fellow, School of Public Policy, University of Calgary, and a fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute is with us now. Hugh, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, good morning, Scott. Happy to talk. How has the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin scandal affected Canada-China relations and complicated that case even more? I don't think it's had a huge impact. I think, frankly, these are on two separate tracks. I know the Chinese have tried to make a little bit of hay out of the situation that's going on in Ottawa, uh, trying to connect the two. But, uh, in fact, I don't really think there's any connection. It's pretty clear that Canada, uh, particularly in terms of proceeding with the, uh, the, the extradition hearings, is following the, uh, the rule of law. And, in fact, while I don't really want to get into what's happening in Ottawa, if you look at the outcome to date, uh, that's precisely the process that's uh, happened in Canada as well. 
well. The, uh, the, the, the case is proceeding against SNC-Lavalin. They're challenging that in court. Uh, of course, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, buzz about it, but the, as I say, the Chinese are trying to grasp onto it. But really, uh, I think the two uh, are really on different tracks. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, China pointing to the situation with this case, saying, "Look, you're you're preaching to us rule of law, and it feel and it certainly appears like that's not happening here. How valid is that? Does it resonate?" Um. As I say, I think they will try and use any talking point. I think uh, what is what is more relevant. You mentioned the uh, civil suit that Miss um, uh, Mung has brought against uh, the Canadian government and a couple of agencies. Uh, I mean, what is pretty obvious is that the Canadians who are in, uh, in 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 prison in China have nothing like recourse to the tools and the, and, and the mechanisms and the processes that are available to anyone in Canada, including Miss Mung. So I think that's the really valid comparison. How can China, let's go there, how can China make the claims that it is? Well, the Huawei CFO is held up in a multi-million dollar va- a mansion in Vancouver, and the other two haven't, haven't even seen their lawyers since this all went down. Well, I don't see how they can do it with a straight face either, but of course, uh, they are speaking primarily to a domestic audience in China. Uh, they don't really have to uh, m- make those connections. Um, and, you know, the, as you point out, the, the, the detention situation of Ms. Monk compared to the two Canadians in particular that have now been charged with uh, national security violations are quite different. Uh, the process is different. Uh, I mean, the degree of transparency, it, it doesn't even begin to register. Uh, so I I mean, it's two-faced, in my opinion, for them to talk this way, but it's not surprising because uh, they are dealing with uh, their own domestic audience and putting out the message as they like to, uh, as they basically like to transmit it. What is the strength of her civil suit? Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I probably have read exactly what you have read, that she has alleged that uh, she was detained for three hours before formal charges were presented to her and that she was tricked into uh, revealing the passwords and so forth. So I, I actually have no idea what the legal technicalities are, but that's obviously going to be sorted out through a, uh, an open and transparent process, as is the norm in Canada. So now these two have been accused of stealing state secrets. Uh, The timing of all of this, again, does it centered around uh, propaganda and selling the best story back home? How do you explain the timing? Well, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's entirely not coincidental that the charges were dropped uh, or two or three days after Canada uh, reached what was, a, frankly, a very predictable uh, decision to proceed. Uh, there, as far as I understand, that there's a pretty low bar to, uh, to, to be met in terms of uh, proceeding with the extradition hearing. Now, there a lot more information will come out during the extradition hearing, but it was pretty much a, a given that Canada would proceed. China was clearly holding back. Uh, now they have actually uh, made these charges and linked the two Michaels uh, together, uh, and we'll have to see how that proceeds. I gather that uh, there's a you know there's a six month period uh, that uh, where they they can basically keep them in this investigative period. A couple of months of that have passed already, but I think this is uh, this is going to go on, and eventually, presumably, there will be some kind of uh, of, a, of, a, of a trial, and whatever evidence they have will be released. Uh, typically, it won't be a very open and a very long trial, but uh, we'll get to hear a bit more about what they claim happened. Uh, Will this continue to happen until the Huawei CFO is extradited? Will Canada continue to be bullied until she is out of the country? Because that could take a long time. 
I'm afraid that's probably the case. I mean, uh, you know, if you give in to a bully, the bully asks for more. So Canada followed through, in my view, in exactly the correct way by following the established procedure. I don't see any early end to this. Um, the only way that this could end early is one of two things. Either the U.S. drops extradition charges, which I think is unlikely, or she... Uh, um, she gives up the fight and accepts extradition to the U.S., in which case it would probably suggest that uh, Huawei and the U.S. Department of Justice have had some discussions about some kind of a plea bargain. But basically the solution to this relies uh, is, is in the U.S. It's not in Canada. If it follows what could be a long process of her resisting and fighting and basically exercising her rights uh, under the under Canadian law. As you say, this could go on for a very long time, and the Chinese have other uh, tools, which I'm afraid they may, uh, they may try and use to, to pressure and you know, twist Canada's arm. Uh, why is China not focusing on, on the U.S.? Because that's obviously who, who started all of this. That's where she's going to end up. Uh, why are they not detaining Americans? Well, I mean, at some point they will focus on the U.S., particularly if she goes to the U.S., that's where clearly it will happen. But, of course, uh, there are discussions, ongoing high-level discussions between the Chinese and the U.S. right now about lifting the U.S. trade, uh, and the, you know, the punitive tariffs that the U.S. has put on. There's some talk about a, a summit at Mar-a-Lago at the end of March. Mr. Trump just... Uh, um, uh, extended the moratorium, I guess, on imposing higher tariffs on China. So there's a huge bilateral negotiation going on. So at this stage, the Chinese, I guess, don't want to make that situation any worse. Uh, so we have another month to figure out what's going to happen there. Uh, if they come to some kind of a, uh, a reconciliation or an agreement, maybe uh, dealing with the Huawei issue will be part of that or be buried in there somewhere. We'll have to wait and see. How does the world or, or even the U.S. view how China is treating Canada? And, and what can this do for, for China's brand or the Huawei brand or anyone trying to do business? I think China has spent you know, decades trying to build up its soft power. And the position that it's taken with Canada trying to punish a middle power that basically is caught between these two giants, these two economic giants, and is clearly following an established transparent procedure, has done huge damage to China's position in the world. Uh, regrettably, we haven't seen people speaking out as much or as early or as quickly or as vigorously as, as we would like. Everybody, of course, looks a little bit at their self-interest. But uh, we have seen people uh, increasingly speak out. Even the U.S. was a bit slow to do so, but uh, it, has, it has condemned the Chinese action, as have a number of other countries. And I think, frankly, the more that China tries to uh, bully Canada, uh, other people who are potentially in similar situations will take the lesson from that. Uh, what does this mean for Michael Spaver and uh, and Michael Kovrig? Uh, what is the relationship between these two? These two have been accused of working together, one to gather and the other one to to, to distribute uh, national state secrets. Do the what is the relationship between these two? Do they know each other? Well, I have no idea. Um, I uh, just without knowing any of the facts, I would find it not surprising that they have had some contact. They've been both living in China for a number of years. The Canadian community is not that large. 
there are various forums to meet, you know, through uh, through business meetings and uh, other social events. Um, so it's it's quite possible that they know each other, whether they have a close relationship or not. I I, I don't know, but I'm sure Michael Kovrig, in his position at the embassy, had many contacts with many people. So I don't think it can be ruled out. In fact, I'm sure there has to be some. I don't know if evidence is the right word, is, is the right word, but some substantiation of the fact that they were in contact with each other. Uh, but you know whether that, uh, or to what extent that proves what I think is a pretty ludicrous charge of uh, espionage. Uh, well, we'll just have to wait and see what evidence, quote unquote, the Chinese produce. Now that now that these accusations have been made, how has this elevated the discussion? From what I understand, these are very serious charges and can can result in death. What does it mean for these two men? Well, they are serious charges, but I don't think, frankly, that they are that unexpected. I mean, they were picked up and uh, on on. Uh, what we were told were national security grounds, and they've been investigated. I mean, there are going to be two possibilities. Either the Chinese are going to say, whoops, we made a mistake, so we're letting them go, or they're going to follow through and lay formal charges. And it's pretty obvious where they were going to go with this. So I don't think this is the next step in the process. This keeps it going. This ups the ante a little bit. Um, I mean, you mentioned the, the most draconian penalty. I mean, we're a long, long way from uh, any kind of a trial, any kind of a penalty. Normally in these sort of situations, at the end of the day, particularly because these men are being held as political hostages, uh, there'll be some kind of uh, uh, a, a, a result that will see them probably uh, kicked out of China. And, uh, and, 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 you know, that will, in a sense, be the end of it, as has happened with uh, Kevin and Julie Garrett, who are two other Canadians who were arrested under somewhat analogous circumstances. That doesn't mean that between now and whenever that happens, uh, these two men, uh, these two innocent men, are going to be uh, in, in a very pleasant situation. They're, they're under duress, there's no question. And uh, it's up, it, I, I'm not too sure what Canada can do other than stick to its principles, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's going to be a difficult ride for them. That was my next question. What else can Canada do? How has Canada handled this so far? I think Canada has handled it about as well as it can. I mean, people have called for the Prime Minister to fly to Beijing to talk to uh, President Xi and so forth. There's really not much point in doing that unless there's some sort of a deal on the table. And as long as the Chinese uh, continue to pile on the pressure and refuse to accept the fact that uh, Canada is, 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 is caught and is doing what it needs to do because of its legal obligations, there's not a lot of way to go there. I mean, I think we need to continue to talk to the Chinese, to... to um, I influence them, try and speak, talk reason to them. Uh, I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen. I think the main thing that we need to do is, is keep the plight of uh, these two hostages in the public eye, uh, make sure that the world sees what's happening, uh, continue to exert pressure indirectly on China, make so that it doesn't get swept under the rug, it doesn't go away. And then in the meantime, the uh, Meng Wanzhou situation, which China continues to claim is not linked to what they're doing, but of course it is linked, that will, that will proceed and hopefully as expeditiously as possible. All of the work that China has done over the last decades to be a part of the world and be accepted by the world, is this all for naught now? I mean, does China realize the, the, the public relations nightmare they're in here? I don't think China particularly cares. I think from a Chinese perspective, the first objective... But they do, don't they care about that growth, Hugh? Don't they care about how, I mean, they've worked so hard at all this? 
Well, I mean, there are conflicting objectives here. Of course, they don't want to throw all that away. But, uh, I mean, the primary objective here is, uh, first of all, domestic, the, the domestic audience and domestic, the way this goes down domestically in China. So that's their first concern. That will always, uh, you know, take priority over what foreigners think of China. And they will play that particular card. And, of course, there's, a, there's the whole issue of Chinese growth. Where we talked about what's happening with the U.S. This is not helping uh, their, their, their dialogue with the U.S., Mind you, what the U.S. has done with respect to Huawei is not helping their discussions with the Chinese either. So, you know, these things have to be have to be dealt with. But I mean, in terms of uh, playing nice so that people will like China, I mean, that's not that's not that's not really in their uh, uh, in their arsenal things to do. They're, they see it, I guess, uh, as, as sort of standing up for China and telling people that China won't be pushed around. And Canada happen, Canada and the two Michaels happen to be the unfortunate meat in the sandwich. Um, what about other Canadians traveling to China? Are they in danger? How do businesses view this that perhaps are traveling to and fro? Well, as we know, you know, there have been travel advisories issued, as, as, as you're aware, which, ex, which uh, urge Canadians to express caution, but it's not gone to the, you know, the, the next level, which is don't go there unless you have a really good reason to go. There's still lots of travel between Canada and China amongst tourists, uh, you know, students and so forth, although I understand that perhaps tourist flows have dropped off a little bit. I think businesses are being cautious. Um, if, you, if there's a potential... Uh, reason for you to be detained in China, it's probably a good reason not to go there. I mean, if you have a contract dispute or if you have some sort of issues, China could potentially grab you and say, well, this is, of course, nothing to do with the Meng Wanzhou situation, but we happen to be detaining you because of uh, this commercial dispute with your Chinese partner. So I think businesses need to evaluate and be careful what they're going to do. If it's, a, if it's something that's pretty straightforward, uh, that would be fine. There are still lots of Canadians living in China, of course, doing business there and so forth. And, uh, you know, some have left, others are carrying on. Um, so I, I think uh, there's always the potential, but I mean, at this point, it's not something where I think most people are packing up and leaving. How much of a setback is this for relations? I think uh, that Canada-China relations are at their lowest ebb since we established relations with China. Uh, I, you know, I could say I don't think they could get much worse, but the Chinese could do something further that would make them worse. Uh, I don't think Canada's, uh, Canada's trying to play this straight and trying to keep dialogue open and trying to, you know, work on areas where we agree and focus on uh, resolving the ones where we don't agree. But there's no question that uh, this has damaged China's brand enormously in Canada. Um, it's, uh, it's made things much more difficult for Canadians doing business. It's made things very difficult, I think, for people who want to give China the benefit of the doubt and see some of the positive things that China's done over the last 40 years. And, and there have been a lot, as we know, in terms of economic development and bringing people out of poverty and so forth. But at the same time, there is this authoritarian, uh, heavy-handed side of China, which has become very much in evidence in the last, uh, last couple of years, and particularly in the last couple of months. Hugh Stevens has been with us, a distinguished fellow, Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, as well University of Calgary and Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Hugh, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're very welcome, Scott. Thank you. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.